0: Have make me have to get really animated, right? So you get a good one? Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> I, I figure if I change what I brought and just change it to br- fire and brimstone, that'll warm us all up, right? We'll get all ginned up and... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We'll just talk about fire. Oh, yes. All right. Well, actually, we'll just stick to the original plan, which is 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So let's pray. And before I get too, too, good, too into it right away, but Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your love and your grace. Lord, thank you for um, this Sunday. This morning, Lord, the time that we get to gather together and worship, Lord, thank you for your healing upon uh, your body, Lord, and able to gather and Lord, we we love to to come and worship you, Lord. We come to to have that fellowship in you and Lord, desire to to hear from you, and uh, do pray, Lord, that you would pour out your gifts, Lord, this morning, Lord, for teaching and um, the wisdom that we need, Lord, the learning that we need and Just what you have for us, Lord, that you would be glorified here, Lord. Desire to to know you more, love you more, and uh, follow you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So today's title is Comfort and Joy. Now, if you know anything about Corinthians, you might be wondering, well, wow, where do you get that from? Because the Corinthians were a tough bunch. And these were some corrective letters, but actually um, what I originally thought was joy to the world, because when I found out when Paul was coming up that he was going to be teaching on Psalm 97, I mistakenly remembered, or not remembered, I guess, I was like, oh, I think that's the psalm that joy to the world was, was used for writing that song." and then i remembered wrongly because it's psalm 98 so psalm 98 was the basis for the song joy to the world which most people sing at christmas time right but it's actually not jesus's first coming psalm 98 is about jesus's second coming and joy to the world is actually about jesus's second coming so it's kind of neat uh, you know christmasy time and Joy to the world is is one of those familiar songs and and really where where I get that and, and the desire for joy was from the very last verse of chapter uh, of chapter one in Second Corinthians. So we'll look at that real quick. But um, it says, not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy. For by faith ye stand. And really, the how we should be the most joyful people. In the world because of Jesus Christ and in our lives and and we should be those that come alongside one another and and help each other right in this joy and, um, and so Psalm 98 is not what I bring today even though I was entertaining the idea but I think the Lord allowed me to, to slip it in at, at the end here because uh, it is a wonderful psalm and uh, just the, the Christmas spirit so you think of comfort and joy, that might remind you of, of a different song that maybe we'll take a look at later too, but really joy, and, and that's the whole focus, and, and really should be uh, the focus of our lives is is this joy that we have in Jesus Christ, and and again, you might be wondering how do we get this such joy out of Paul's letters to the Corinthians, because, um, well, the Corinthian church was, gave them a tough time, I would say. Gave him a hard time. In fact, when he went to Corinth the first time, he had to be encouraged by Jesus himself to stay there. So if you remember, Jesus said to to Paul, and if you don't remember, I'll, I'll remind you. It's from Acts chapter 18, where Jesus spoke, Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace, for I am with thee. And no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So that's probably the longest time he spent in one place up to that point. So if you remember, Paul had spent many of time going to a city, being there for a short while, uh, getting thrown out, beat up, stoned. All the things that happened to him, and then he gets to Corinth, which if if you remember just how wicked of a place Corinth was, you can imagine he was what a hard time. And but the Lord encouraged him to stay there and to, to witness. He had much people in that city. And then uh you know, whatever sort of hard time Maybe they gave him while he was there, or later on we know through his letters uh, where they weren't accepting of his uh, apostleship and and the things that he did. Um, Really brings me to this question, um, you know, how do we deal with tough people many times? Are we quick to wash our hands of them and, and, wow, you know, because Paul could have left and said, whew. What a tough bunch. I no longer have to be with them. (laughs) Yikes. I don't like dealing with people like that. And I don't know if people really like dealing with with tough people, but, you know, what do we do when it's there? You know, back when I thought I was a nice person, I used to give people three strikes because I liked baseball. So I thought that was pretty, uh, pretty nice of me, right? Wrong me once, all right. Wrong me twice. Okay, we're getting on the edge there. Three times, you're out, right? Forget it. (laughs) And then coming across what Jesus says to Peter, right? Because Peter's like, well, how about seven times? Jesus says, well, how about 70 times seven times? Yikes, okay. Um, I'm not such a nice person because when I lived in England, I had to play cricket in school. So three strikes, you're out. There, there. You have to get the whole team out before you can switch sides. And that was the longest game ever. And if you ever have to have tea breaks in between during your game, that's, that's a long game. So, <laughs> so there it's like 70 times 7, that's even more than cricket, which, wow, that's a lot. So not a very nice person after all. And, and to find out, you know, reading through scripture and, and coming across a word, Contem, C-O-N-T, not D, T-E-M-N. Looked that up, was like, wow, that's kind of interesting, because you think, contem, is that like condemn? No, it's actually a very strong word. And uh, one of the definitions of it is to neglect as unworthy of regard. Like, ooh, that's tough. But then that reminded me of how I would treat people sometimes giving them the silent treatment, right? Well, you've wronged me, so I'm not going to talk to you, just kind of ignore you. And really, that's that word right there, contempt When you ignore them in such a way like that, to neglect as unworthy of regard, that's wicked. It's like, okay, I'm not a nice person, but the Bible told me that all along, and now I know. So, thankful. For Jesus Christ. And, and we see Paul's love for the Corinthians. You know, whatever sort of hard times they gave him. You know, there's the, the camp there. Well, we're of Paul or we're of Apollos. We're of Cephas. And just all the contention that's going on in there. And uh, we see really with Paul's letters, his love for the Corinthians. And he, the, the first letter that he writes, there is correction in there. You know, to try to set him straight because he loves them that they would follow Jesus wholeheartedly, and they would do these things, and and we would be a a loving church. So how did that go? Well, that caused some more contention, because now Paul is writing the second letter, because they brought accusation against him, saying, oh, Paul, you say you're coming to visit us, and you don't come and visit us. You're Because that's dead. All right. We're back on. We're live. All right. That interruption was brought to you by <laughs> the cold of the day. <laughs> Whew. All right. Well, for the recording, I'm not quite sure where it went dead, but I guess I'll just have to uh, make do with, with however it gets put together, so. Uh, for those listening, sorry about that. But here we are. How do we receive correction? Let's take a look at Proverbs fifteen verse ten, and then Proverbs fifteen twelve. So you'll be right there. So Proverbs fifteen ten. Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way, and heedeth and he that hateth reproof shall die. Ooh. <laughs> so correction's kind of important, isn't it? And then a couple of verses later, verse 12, a scorner loveth not one that reproveth him, neither will he go unto the wise. So you see those that don't want desire to receive correction, have no love for that and don't want to hear that and um not willing to receive, but if we're willing to to receive these things, correction, it, it is a way of life. To to hear from the Lord, really to repent, right, which means change my way, no longer my way, but His way, and and really to desire to follow Him. So, as we read Scripture or uh, well, we're, we're really any story, you know, we like to be the hero of whatever we read, right? As we're reading a story, whether it's the Bible or any other story, at least I do, I don't know if you do the same thing, I put myself in the hero's shoes, right? Because that's who I should be, so that's who I'm going to decide to be, and, and I don't ever really read myself into the villain or the wimp or the coward or the whoever, but like to be the hero of my own story, right? So when I read... The Bible, oh, of course I'm not the Pharisee or the Sadducee or the wicked or the sinner or any of those, or even the Corinthian here. I mean, man, who would want to be like how they've been acting? They're crazy. But we know how easy it is to point out other people's faults, right? Rarely seeing our own faults. And what happens when someone points that out? Defense right away, right? Offense. Offended that you had ever say such a thing or point out such a thing, and and how dare you? But in all reality, you know the purpose of anyone bringing such a word should be out of love, And as I think this this at least first chapter of this letter helps to point out, and really the whole letter as a whole, because really Paul bears his his heart and his love for the Corinthians in this in this letter you can see paul um, really sharing a lot of his life uh, and how he lived his life through this letter and how does paul give correction well i believe paul provides correction the same way that he receives from the lord in love and truth those two things that always need to be together truth and love love and truth Drop one off, you you make the other really of no effect. But truth and love have to go together. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead and turn that off. All right. We good? (laughs) Yeah, just leave it, Chris. don't worry about it. We'll survive. We survived before. We'll continue to survive now. If you have to get jump, do some raptor, rapture practice, go for it. Right? <laughs> Woo! That'll warm you up. Anyways. <laughs> See, imagine if this was being filmed. <laughs> Probably wouldn't be doing those things, but I don't know. doesn't matter. So as we try to resettle our hearts, focus back on uh, what we have before us here today, comfort and joy. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, let's get into it. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia. Grace be to you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. What an opening. You know, Paul reiterating, he is an apostle by the will of God, and uh, I mean, in essence, don't we all have to make that decision? That pastor, is is that a pastor by the will of God? Is he there serving? Um, Not based upon our uh, personal opinions or likes or dislikes, but but really, are they serving? Is it a a call of the Lord? And uh, I think we get too quick, just like the Corinthians did. Oh, I don't like them. Remember how they had um, grouped themselves into different factions, And the division that that happens, and and instead of getting all wrapped up in who you like for personality, is this of the Lord? And if it is of the Lord, we go with it. And and Paul reiterates, hey, I'm not just here just just for fun and games. This is what God has called, And, and he really shares his heart throughout this whole letter about all the things that he goes through. Not from a standpoint of, look at me because I go through these things, but it's, I love the Lord. These things have happened. These things continue to happen. But it's not because uh, I'm, I'm out to gain or try to take advantage of people. It's because I love Jesus Christ. And I follow and I do what he has. And so, Paul, an apostle. Grace be to you and peace. And what love you. He- Phrases that Paul always brings, just that grace and peace, that reminder anytime you start a new uh, epistle in your devotions, you know take that time to remind yourself of God's grace, because we certainly can never have peace without his grace and just his amazing grace in our lives, to always be reminded of, of that grace and peace, and it says, Blessed be God, verse three, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. And even just this morning, Jeremy and I talking, sharing about God's mercies, just how amazing that mercy is. And Psalm fifty two speaks of trusting in his mercy, his everlasting mercy, forever. You know, I, I when I came across that psalm and, and just that phrase, like, why would he pick mercy instead of trusting in God's love or trusting in God's, you know, any other Attribute of God, but in His mercies. Why? Because without His mercy, we have nothing. And it's by His mercy we recognize that we are in need of a Savior. Otherwise, we think we're okay. But it's by His mercy, because we deserve the wages of sin, right? The wages of sin, not sins, but sin, which is death. But yet, by his mercy, he provided that way for us to receive the eternal gift from God, <laughs> eternal life. So, his mercies. And then, not only that, the God of all comfort. Now, that's quite the, uh, quite the title that, that Paul uses. You know, you think of everything that Paul went through. And he can say that this is the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. So if he is the God of all comfort, can true comfort be found anywhere else? I think we could all say no, right? But how many things do we label comfort, like comfort food? ah, uh, Just have that Comfort food, whether it be, I don't know, mac and cheese or meatloaf or, you know, those things that we classify as comfort food. It makes me feel warm and cozy and happy for, what, a couple bites maybe? And then it's gone and it's like, oh, okay, just eating some food again. <laughs> but but we get wrapped up in this idea of, oh, just this comfort or maybe our comfort chair, Sit in it for a while, but after a while, what happens? It gets uncomfortable. Or maybe the comforts of home. Uh, I just need to get back to the comforts of home, right? And, and how long does that last? Well, after a while, you're like, oh, I want to get out and do something. Or, but just how short-lived all these ideas that we have of comfort are. But it's really, I, I think, more of the, the idea of the familiar I just want to get back to something that's a little familiar, you know, feel out of sorts. I need to get back to something that's a little more familiar. So if God is the comfort of, is the God of all comfort, is God your comfort? So you think of that comfort that you want to find, whether it's in food or in whatever it happens to be. We we try to find some sort of comfort, right? But is he the most familiar thing that you know and the one that you always fall back to? Or are you still looking for that just only that has short term? And how well do we know him? And you think of, you know, all this clamoring. We have a new normal to, to figure out, right? Or I want to get back to my old normal, or just this fight of, of, of this idea of normal. Well, what if we make God our normal? And then you don't have to worry about all the extrini- extraneous things. If he's your normal, then just as I would say that, like Paul made, this is my life in Jesus Christ. You know, I am, uh, I'm okay in, in riches and in destitution and this and that. And he goes through that list. Philippians, you can remember the list. You can go back and check that out. Philippians 4, but... Because his comfort's in Jesus Christ. That's his go-to. That's his fallback. And and maybe if we just make that our true normal, right? Our life in Christ. Then we don't get bogged down in, in all these circumstantial things. And he's coming back. Right? We're going to be seeing him very soon. One way or the other. We're going to be there, and we're not going to be disappointed about dying or being raptured out and being with him. If there's still something that you're holding on to on this earth or an experience that you think you have, dig more into who Jesus Christ is and make him your all in all and continue to, to, Lord, I want to know you more. I want to love you more. What is it? Where am I falling short? Lord, search my heart. Know me. Point these things out because I I desire to just simply be with you. So God is a God of all comfort. Now, according to Webster's 1828, I think doing word searches every now and then is is good to to help with words because comfort, and even in 1828, I think as we'll see, that the idea of comfort was being kind of twisted even back then. So to, to comfort, so the verb means this, to strengthen, to invigorate, to cheer or enliven, to strengthen the mind when depressed or enfeebled, to console, to give new vigor to the spirits, to cheer or relieve from depression or trouble. That's that's a lot packed in there, I think. To comfort. It's not just giving them a bowl of of ice cream. That's that temporary thing that doesn't really do that much in the end. But really to to strengthen and, and to do that. Now the noun, comfort. Relief from pain, ease, rest, or moderate pleasure after pain, cold or distress, or uneasiness of body. The word signifies properly new strength or animation. And relief from pain is often the effect of strength. So the positive side of this is that new strength, animation, that that liveliness, to be enlivened. Now, in a popular sense, so this is Webster in 1828. He says, now, in a popular sense, the word signifies rather negatively the absence of pain and the consequent quiet than positive animation. And just how that just little sort of twist. So instead of looking at it from being strengthened, which results in the lessening of pain, it's really the idea of just remove the pain. And the comfort, because can we go through hard things and still be in comfort, be in his hands and know that uh, we're his? Or is it just the idea, I I just got to get what I want. Then I feel comfort. I'm not comfortable if it's not my way. So to continue on in, in the definition, the second part of the noun, relief from distress of mind, the ease and quiet which is experienced when pain, trouble, agitation, or affliction ceases. It implies also some degree of positive animation of the spirits or some pleasurable sensations derived from hope, An agreeable prospect's consolation. So really, can we find our rest in Christ? Now Hebrews talks about finding that rest, right? To find our rest in him. Jesus says, come to him and he will give rest and you will find rest. And there is, I believe, a big difference between the idea of uh, desiring to to live a life at ease and kind of like the negative idea of a comfortable life where you're trying to find your rest in yourself. And you'll never find it because yourself will never satisfy. But when we find our rest in Christ, we're resting in God. And that's where great rest, I believe, is. And so verse 4, "...who comfort us in all our tribulations that we may be able to comfort them." which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So he comforts us in all our tribulation. So he's the God of all comfort, right? So he should be able to comfort us in all our tribulation. What did Jesus teach on comfort? John 14, 15, 16, good reminders of Jesus teaching on this. He said he was going to send who? The Comforter. Ah, lots of comfort in that, right? Now, if we could try to put ourselves in the disciples' shoes that night, we would be very unease, right? We, we would be very troubled. We would be very upset about what's happening because what's Jesus been teaching them? He's going to the cross, right? And this is all culminated now. And now from what they were really kind of ignoring or not really hearing or whatever they were doing with what Jesus had taught all along, he told them, now it's come to that point. And what's he say? How does he start? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And he teaches on the Holy Spirit, right? The comforter that's coming. He says, These things I've spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Can we still have fullness of joy regardless of where we find ourselves? You know, that whole importance of abiding in Christ and just right there with him. And then how does he end all the teaching? The last verse of chapter 16. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The reminder of, of the comfort that we can truly have in him. Psalm 37. I'm just going to read a few verses from that. But things that we can do as we come to the Lord. So Psalm 37, starting at verse 1. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the, the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass and he shall bring forth thy righteousness as a light and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and continues on there. But really fret not. Do not be worried. Right. It's hard to trust in the Lord, when you're fretting about all the things of life. Because you're not trusting what the Lord has. It's not trusting what the Lord has promised. Not trusting that he is on the throne, in control, and none of these things are a surprise to him. None of these things are out of, out of bounds like, uh-oh, things got uh, can't, can't capture it back. Things are just so out of whack, it's just, oh, it's all done. No, that's not the Lord. But when we find ourselves fretting against those, against the the evildoers, right? We would say there's lots of evildoers out and about these days. (laughs) But are we to fret about that? Or do we find our trust in the Lord? Because as you trust Him, you're not fretting. And as you trust Him, you're delighting. Because it's hard to delight in someone that you can't even trust. And as you delight yourself in him, much easier to commit everything that you have into him. Because you delight in him and you know that he has it all under control and he has everything in his hands. and, And then how easy is it then to rest? It's hard to rest when you're fretting, isn't it? It's hard to rest when you don't have any trust in anything. It's hard to rest when you have no delight in anything. It's hard to rest when you just haven't been able to surrender everything. So, comfort. The God of all comfort. And He's able to comfort in all our tribulation. The real question is, do we receive His comfort? are we willing to receive his comfort that he gives now those that have have uh, cared for babies i think all of us well adults that is right all of us have had that opportunity have you ever had that child that just will not be comforted maybe once it's happened maybe twice but that whole idea they're not hungry they're they 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 do not need their diapers changed. They j they just refuse to be comforted. What can you do? There's nothing you can do because they will not receive comfort. You give them everything that they need and they're cared for and and, and loved and, and watched after, and they for whatever reason ah, and we just won't receive. Now do we find ourselves in that spot anytime? We won't receive the comfort of the Lord ah, we just do it differently, <laughs> however, we have our freak out, and I meaning, whenever you watch adults acting like children and babies, <laughs> yikes that's not a good sight, but yet, how often does it happen? But the reminder to to receive simply receive his comfort if you find yourself in a spot where you just aren't comforted whose fault is it God's fault because he did this to you or he put you here or did this or that or or is it your fault because you won't receive the simple comfort that he desires to give I don't like the comfort that you're giving me I want it to be different I want it to be full of money or full of this or full of that right I want you to promise exactly what's going to happen the next 10 years in my life. Then I'll feel comforted and we'll go where you call me or do what you have. But really to to receive his comfort, the God of all comfort. As Paul later on writes, even in this letter, where he asked the Lord three times if he'd remove that tent peg really, right? that thorn in his side what was God's answer my grace is sufficient for thee for my strength is made perfect in weakness he's able to receive that comfort and continue on the thorn wasn't removed but yet he can continue on in the comfort of the Lord his sufficient grace that sufficiency that says that you need nothing more but you have everything that you need. So we receive this comfort that we may be able to comfort others, right? We can able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort where we ourselves are comforted of God. So note that it says them which are in any trouble. Doesn't say and only the trouble that you've ever experienced, right? Because I think we can get this false idea that we can't minister unto people unless we truly went through the same exact thing. Well, that's not true because that's not how the Word of God works. Can't we learn from the Word of God without going through something and apply it to our lives? As we, in Fargo, have been going through the book of Numbers in the wilderness, right? Right? We can learn from their examples so that we don't do those things. There's no need to do those things, right? So we're not limited to just the type of trouble, but we're to minister that comfort with what we've received, right? And as we receive God's word, as we put God's word into practice, we know his promises are true. And we can share those things with others, right? We can share. This is what God has, has brought, this verse. you know, We are to, to do and share what the Lord gives, right? Whether it is by word, sharing a verse. Whether it is by some sort of action, maybe. Doesn't mean we're solving their trouble, but we're comforting. We're bringing that comfort, that, that love of God. So the idea of comforting others isn't to solve their problems but it to comfort them with God's love. Just the same way he comforts us and provides for us and and just like Paul the thorn's not removed and maybe we have things in our life that aren't removed, but we know his grace is sufficient and we can comfort with that same love that God comforts us with us. You know, we're not to just say something to make ourselves feel better. I don't know if you've ever done that with someone else, going through a hard time, and you don't know what to say, so you say something. That's always a bad sign. If you don't know what to say, that means don't say anything, right? Kind of like, oh, I see you're cold. Be warm. I see you're hungry. Oh, be fed. Now, Paul talks, or James talks about that, right? That's faith without works. He's like, uh, you're just saying stuff. Like it's a, a good sort of godly quote, or, uh, or that's what I read on my fridge this morning, and so that's what I'm sharing with you today. Or, But what does God say in being led by the Spirit and, and sharing those things and, and knowing that sometimes, what, it might not be received? When we're going through tribulations or hard times and someone is that sort of foolish, that we would have the grace to just ignore him basically in the end? Like, okay, thanks, yep. Yeah. I see where your heart is, <laughs> but, but we would be those that would comfort one another. It's really the word of God, I think, because his word is living and powerful. And it's really his word that we desire to, to receive and to do. And what else is there? You know, as we hear his word and do his word, right? The Solid rock that house that's built on that solid rock. Aren't you comforted if you know that your house would never fall down no matter what storm hit it? No matter what F5 tornado, no matter what hurricane, no matter what? I don't know if anyone could give that guarantee, right? But if there was, and it was true, and you were in that house, wouldn't you be comforted knowing that it's never going to break on you? I think we'd find our comfort in that. And that's the same idea that, that God has built for us, too. We can have that total, wonderful comfort in His Word as we hear and do His Word and live those things out. 2 Thessalonians 2.16-17 and 17. Now our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us, and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts, and establish you in every good word and work. As he comforts you and establishes your heart in that, now you can do every good word and work in that. And then you get to share that same comfort with others. Point them to this. This is what Jesus has done for me. He's going to do the same for you. So as he comforts us, we get to comfort. Now we're told to comfort one another with these words, right? As Paul writes to the Thessalonians, that they'd be comforted knowing that they are not going to go through the wrath of God. That's comforting, right? This is the wrath of man that's really happening right now, isn't it? Soon enough, it's going to be God's wrath for seven years on a Christ-rejecting world. We can take comfort that that's not for us, that we're out of here. Paul also says to, to warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, or faint-hearted as uh, the New King James puts it, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Comfort the, the feeble-minded. Now, that's a, a word probably like, oh, I'd I'd never be feeble-minded, but... Faint hearted, you know, wherever you're at. Feeble minded is just kind of like, like a weakness of mind to the word, if you will. But that we can comfort and we share the word. And even as, as the, the gifts of the spirit, the gift of prophecy, what's written about that? He that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. That's the word of God. And the Word of God, that brings that, that builds us up, and we can find comfort in that. As we continue on, ooh, we started late today, right? I just recognized what time it was. Anyways, uh, don't listen to me about the time. <laughs> All right, verse uh, 5, let us let's continue on here. Sorry about that. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from a great death, and doth deliver in whom we trust, that he will yet deliver us. Ye also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given. By many on our behalf. Now, as Paul shares this, now we could we could very easily say that Paul has been through the ringer, right? He's been through a lot of difficulties, a lot of hard times, things that we can't even probably imagine. Like, wow. And, and here he's sharing some of those things. And as you continue to read second Corinthians, he explains even more things. And then what's he call it? This light affliction. (laughs) Like, oh, wow. I can't even handle, uh, the hangnail that's been bothering me or, you know, whatever it happens to be and get all upset about the, these little things. But yet, you know, as Paul shares these things, do we just dismiss Paul because we think he's super Apostle Paul, and that's just what he does, and that's what he's called to. Or can we learn these things from Paul? Or do we dismiss others when they want to share uh, in true sincerity because they just don't know my troubles? But yet, here as Paul is sharing, um, can we learn these things from the Word? Can we learn from his life? Can we learn from others' life? Can we learn uh, from the word of God uh, how to go through these things? Do we have to learn the hard way? Don't have to. How many choose to learn the hard way because they refuse either to learn just by reading the word or learn from someone else's example or sharing? Ah, I'm stronger than that. Yeah, 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 whatever you say, I'll make it through. Just that self-confidence that we get wrapped up in and our own pride, and and Paul even speaks to this. You know, um, do we remain hard-hearted? Do we have a right to be uncomforted? If that's a word, uncomforted? <laughs> Probably not, but, you know, how many people think they have some uh, a, the, a right to these things and unwilling to learn and just really silly? You know, as we look at the God Of all comfort. What are we missing when that happens? I mean, I'm so very glad that the Bible is written the way it is. It provides all these examples. That's what Paul says. These things were written for your examples. That you don't have to go that way. You don't have to be like the Israelites in the wilderness, right? Right? You don't have to live an up-and-down life where you're one day with the Lord and then the next day you reject and then all of a sudden all these uh, tribes come in uh, during the time of judges, right? They live this up-and-down life and then they cried out for help and then the Lord helps and then they go back to their old ways again. And No need for that. We can live this life, this what I think a better picture, like Moses, in and out life. Moses went into the tabernacle for fellowship, instruction, and went out for service. And then back in. And then back out. And then back in. And we can live that life too. Moses had a lot of troubles. He had uh, quite a few people to contend with, it seems like. Or they wanted to contend with him. But Paul's been through this ringer and and he's sharing this. In verse 9 he says, uh, really, self-confidence has to go. You know, he says you know, that we should not trust in ourselves. And I think that's where we get into a lot of trouble when, when we trust in ourselves. You know, if you have ever done any lifeguarding, I had the opportunity one summer. One of the things that you are taught is that if someone is drowning, you can't just go grab them because if they still have strength, you will drown because they're in a panic state and their strength seems to get like super pumped up and they will, in their panic, pull you down so that they can try to get up. So no matter how big or small that person is, you have to wait until they're out of strength and almost basically ready to go under. Then you can grab them because that's the most dangerous spot is when they're just, ah, flailing you go and you try to help they will take you down and that's a dangerous spot kind of like our sin I would say because you would look at that small person think oh I can grab them and then all of a sudden you're underwater and and they're on top of you and you're oh, what happened here now you're panicking because now you're drowning and you're not doing any good but have you ever looked at a small sin and think oh I can tackle that one I've got that small sin. I can take it. And then all of a sudden you're drowning from that one small sin and you find yourself, how did I get here? It's really that self confidence. You know, where's our trust? Is our trust in the Lord? Is our trust in the one who raises the dead? Why would we not go for him for everything? Just the importance of that. And then remember the comforter the comforter who is given so that he would bring all these things back to remembrance, right? He would bring those, uh, what we need that we don't have to be worried about what we're going to say in front of the synagogues, right? The the courts, the whoever, but we can put our trust in the Lord and trust him for the words to share the, the things to do. And, um, and then the importance of prayer, verse 11, just as Paul is, is sharing with them, the importance of their prayer for them as they go through these things. Verse 12, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to your word. And really the, the picture what's Paul saying we're not living by the flesh; we're living by the Spirit, and being um, filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit, as Jesus even exampled that for us uh, when He baptized. We see the filling, led by the Spirit into the wilderness, coming out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit, and and living that life. and And Paul is just simply sharing, "Hey, we're we're not doing these things." with fleshly wisdom, living this life that we've lived, and he's sharing how he's makes um, really lives by the Lord. Because he had previously written that he was in at the end of 1 Corinthians, that he was going to come visit. But then he didn't. And so this is the whole accusation that the Corinthians are now charging him with, is this fickleness. How can we listen to you? Because you say yes, but you really mean no, and Um, that'll come out as we continue to read. But really, as as he's like, no, I live by the Spirit. I don't go through all those troubles, the afflictions, all those things just for fun. I mean, who would do that? They'd be a nut to do that just because they think it's fun, right? But if you happen to go through these things because the Lord's taking you through, that's a different story because our trust is in him. And so he lives by the Spirit and, and the freedom of that. Uh, Even as as Jesus said, if you continue in his word, you're his disciples indeed, right? And if you're his disciples and you know the truth, the truth shall make you free, right? Freedom in the Lord to do as he's called us to do. That's great freedom. Freedom to say, you're not going to Corinth. You might have said you were, but you're not. You're doing this. And then the freedom to, to be able to freely do that the freedom to to operate in all the things that that you you do even when people bring accusation why are you going to do it that way well because the lord has me doing it that way well you sure that's right and yeah i'm sure it's right you can be in freedom you don't have to try to defend or fight back or anything like that but simply being in the freedom of the lord in his truth operating uh, by the spirit uh let's see so as Paul continues on, verse 13, For we write none other things unto you than what ye read or acknowledged. And I trust ye shall acknowledge even to the end, as also ye have acknowledged us in part, that we are your rejoicing, even as ye also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. And in this confidence I was minded to come unto you before that ye might have a second benefit and to pass by you in Macedonia, and to come again out of Macedonia unto you, and of you to be brought on my way toward Judea. When I therefore was thus minded, did I use lightness, or the things that I purpose? Do I purpose according to the flesh, that with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay? And so as Paul is, is sharing this, you know, the Corinthians said to Paul, You're fickle you don't abide by how you, you live. You, you're not following your, your own teachings is is what they're trying to accuse him of. And what's Paul say? He says, well, the plan was to come. However, I'm not living by the flesh. I'm not living by uh, just my own wisdom. There is something else. And he answers it in verse 23 when we get there. But... He, He's sharing his life, and then he shares this wonderful truth about God. Verse 18 through 22. But as God is true, our word towards you was not yea and nay. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ, and he hath anointed us, is God, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. So Paul's not living out the effects of a life of a fickle God, but he's living out the effects of the true God by his truth. And living this way unto him, uh, they didn't, and he's reminding them, they didn't bring the gospel to them in deception. They didn't bring the gospel to them uh, for for money, for for any of those things. But they brought the, the truth, the gospel, which is the ultimate comfort for the soul, right? The only thing that will provide grace and peace in your life. You know, God is true and his word is true. All the promises of God in him are yea, right? Meaning, yes, they're true. Everything in there. Now, the question for you and I, is the word of God your amen? Because what does amen mean? So be it. I agree, right? Are all the promises of God your amen? That, that's what Paul lives his life. His promises are true. They're they're my, I agree. They're my, so be, the Word. And to live by that. How about for us? Are all the promises of God our Amen? That we can say Amen to that and live it out. Because what happens when there's a little bit of wavering with the Word? That's where fickleness comes in, doesn't it? Where that part, yes. That part, eh, I don't know about that part. Don't really like that so much. That part, definitely don't like. Uh, if you have that sort of wavering, what's happening? You know, Again, God is true. What do you do with all of his precious promises? Number one, are they precious promises? As Peter likes to write, right? All the precious promises. Hmm. What do you do when someone shares his precious promises with you? Again, that, that comfort that we desire to give through the word. Sometimes it feels like it might be sharp, right? But again, his word is sharp. Sometimes it has to be sharp. Not done in, in hate, or in, uh, but done in love. Do I waver and experience fickleness in my own life? if I lack in my amen with God's promises, well, guess what? My life will be filled with fickleness. Relationships I have will be fickle too as I waver in the Word. But as we live our life in the light, live our life according to His Word, that's strength. And again, that's that freedom that we have in His Word. And here's Paul's answer to them about... um, why didn't you come verse 23 Moreover I call God for a record upon my soul that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth Now the answer to the accusation Paul we can't trust what you say but what's he say I came to to spare you Here comes that importance of truth and love again You know do you want to be loving Or do you just want to be right with other people? So they bring this accusation. Paul could have gone there and he could have hammered them, right? And he could have really let them have it and and let them know how they're wrong. And he would be right in all that he would bring. But yet they're looking for a fight as they accuse him, right? When someone accuses you of things, many times they're looking for a fight. And Paul could have been like, you want to fight? Let's fight. And what good would have come of that? Paul chose love. He could have gone there. He could have hammered them with the truth and and really let them have it. But yet he chose love. He said, there's no point to go there and to contend and to fight and to, to do those things. But yet he says, I went there to spare you. Why do do I want to come and see you and and fight and contend? Let's work these things out and make sure these things aren't uh, destroying relationship. What can we do for reconciliation? You know, uh, as he shares and and points these things out. You know, do you get into arguments so you can win an argument? Or find yourself in an argument? Because you don't have to be in an argument, right? Someone else could try to fight but it always takes two to fight, right? <laughs> someone can bring in an argument. Do you just want to be right and, and prove them right, or do you s- desire to, to share love? And that really helps us through, I think. You know, what do you do when someone want, doesn't want to receive the truth? you keep yelling at them about how the, this is true, this is true, and keep, keep at it? Or do you have to just sometimes just leave them with the truth, Right? And then you just go out and live the truth, and they can see that as a witness. Or you can fight to win and, and be right. You know, how do we always try to get to point them to love and truth? Because those two again have to go together. Paul wasn't sacrificing uh truth and his desire not to go there and to share, you know, to make sure that he can still be loving. He still shared the truth. It's right here. So we don't sacrifice truth and in this idea of being loving, but we don't have to, to sacrifice, uh, loving to, to hammer home truth. How do we find where to, to bring truth and love and, and really point to Jesus? Um, I think from, from just sharing an example from, from my own life, uh, Couple, I think it was a couple years ago at uh, skate park outreach. Someone was sharing with someone, and uh, one of the kids there, and, and this young girl was was uh, really wanted to, to find an excuse to hate God. Really, is what it boiled down to. And she was uh, all she, all she could keep asking was, "Does God hate gay people, and really want to keep them from getting into heaven? Do, do gay people get into heaven?" And that was her angle. And I was able to, to step in and, and, and really just, okay, you know, I can see just total reliance upon the Lord for the answers. Because all the Lord would give me was continue to point to the truth. So could have said, yep, God hates gay people. Or I would, I would never say that. But, yeah, gay people don't get into heaven could have said that because I guess that's partly true. But I just asked her, who are the only people that don't get into heaven? The Bible is very clear about that, right? The only that won't go to heaven are those that don't receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Well, what about gay people? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because the only people that don't get to heaven are those that reject Jesus Christ. So, I don't have to be focused on her desire to to find fault and hate in God, but to point to her, because if she accepts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the sins will get worked out, right? But if I just stick on, on the one, the truth, just, yep, that's bad, that's bad, and just keep hitting on that, versus who are the only ones that don't? God loves the world, right? God gave his one and only son because he loves the world, right? And to keep pointing back to to that, to share love and truth. Because at no point did I minimize the truth, but at no point did I minimize God's love and care that he wants her. And there's other examples, just, I like how the Lord just as in my life, just removed, because arguments come to mind. And if I go with it, then I'm just acting out of my own wisdom. But when he many times just narrows down to one thing. Yeah, a different outreach that we've had. He just kept me on one thing. Reminding this other person about the importance of being born again. They had all these questions and everything. was like, "Nope, that's why you need to be born again and and just keep coming back to that and that and just not getting lost in tangents, but God's love. And to be spirit-led. And and that's what Paul is sharing is is spirit-led. This is what the Lord had for me. Hey, I thought this didn't happen. I mean, is that okay? Or do we want to find argument with others or contention or you know that's seems like what's happening here and so in the end what does paul say not for that we have dominion over your faith i'm not your 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 faith person to look i I don't tell you what to do he's sharing god's word hey these are the things you should do why because it's god's word if you want this comfort if you want the joy hey do god's word it's all right there. You want to know the truth and be free in that? Know God's word. It's right there. It's, it's right before you. I'm not telling you to do this, but you have every opportunity to do this. Again, when someone shares God's word with you, you might not like the answer, right? I don't know, I've received that before because I wanted to be stuck in, in something. Like, oh, that person just doesn't like me or is against me or whatever it happens to be but they're simply being loving and sharing God's Word. Not saying you have to do this or else. I mean, there's churches you could find that do that. That say you have to live this way or else. You have to do it this way or else. But this is what God's Word says, and this is why we're going to do it this way. Because we all stand in our own faith, right? No one's going to stand in our faith for us. We can't stand in our parents' faith. We can't stand in our friends' faith. We can't stand in Paul's faith. Uh, But we stand in our own. And that's the importance of that relationship with the Lord. Find that comfort in Him. Is He your all in all? Or are you looking for for other things? And and that we would be helpers of joy. What an amazing thing. As we live for Jesus... That should be just a thing that's there, right? If we're not finding joy in our lives, just go back and do the first thing. Love Jesus, follow him, and keep it very simple. If you've ever heard the the acronym for joy, Jesus, others, you. So if you put it in that order, you'll always have joy. When yourself is last, Right? You'll hardly ever find comfort and joy when you put yourself first. You might find that comfort, that momentary comfort, right? When you're always putting yourself first, but what are you going to continue to find? I'll have to do it again, and again, and again, and again. But when you put Jesus, then others, then you. Great joy from that. And um, many things that we should be joyous over. Uh, Let's see. want some verses? I know it's getting late. (laughs) If you want some verses, I got some verses. Joy verses. Well, I'll share them. Since no one's saying yes or no, I'm going to take that as a yes. Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with a robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. Wow, that's good joy. Jeremiah 15.16, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Well, that's a good one. Romans 11.11 uh, 11, 11. I say then, have they stumbled... Oh, no, I think it's supposed to be... Uh, uh, uh. I copied the wrong one. It was supposed to be Romans 5.11. I can find that easy. Romans 5.11 And not only so but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement hey that's great joy 1st uh, Peter 3 uh, through 8 blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time wherein ye greatly rejoice though now for a season if need be ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold than of gold that perisheth though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, ye love, and whom, though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And then Jude, verse 24, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. And you can find many, many more verses about the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. So comfort and joy. An old carol. God rest ye merry gentlemen. Remember that one? God rest you merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. O tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. O tidings of comfort and joy. Right? So as you remember his birth, he came to destroy satan's power and he did right but as we look forward and this is where i bring in psalm 98 joy to the world because he's coming back and that's what that one's based upon now i'm not going to read joy to the world but psalm 98 and i've put in some verses in there so it's all bible but that go with that and and you see how, how it reads. But this is Psalm 98 with a few different verses shared in there. And it's really like a a gospel message, if you will, because he's coming back. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy, holy arm have gained him the victory.' The Lord has made known his salvation, his righteousness he has revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in the heart in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. Look to the, to the Lord and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For God is and there is no other. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in song. Rejoice and sing praises. Sing to the Lord. Shout joyfully before the Lord, the King. Let the sea roar And all its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord. God who made the world and everything in it. He has made from one blood every nation of people to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their preappointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord and in, in the hope that they might grope for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us for in him we live and move and have our being as also some of your own poets have said for we are also his offspring therefore since we are the offspring of god We ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly these times of ignorance got overlooked, but now commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man Jesus whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead, for he says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. For he is coming to judge the earth with righteousness. He shall judge the world and the peoples with equity. Amen. All right. Well, Lord, thank you for your love and your grace. Lord, thank you for uh, getting us through this quite cold morning. And... uh Pray that you would warm us up as as we go out and share your light and your love, Lord, that you would uh, fill us up with that. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>